It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. And yes, my name is Don Crawford, Jr., the grateful owner of KAAM Radio, and co-host with my partner, Michael Cohen, of this Estate Planning Essentials program, aggressively seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I say hello to you, Michael Cohen. How are you, sir? Doing mighty fine. Doing mighty fine. You told Jennifer and me before the program you were mighty adequate. So is adequate higher than fine in the last 60 seconds? Mighty fine is higher than mighty adequate. I've gotten so much better to just talking to you. <laughs> okay. I'm glad to hear that. Well, I'm glad you you were one. I'm glad the other one's even better. It's May, Michael, and spring has sprung, and we're excited about the future, and we're hoping that COVID is going away at least somewhat and that we can uh, attack life like we never have before, having been humbled the last two years. And I hope you're doing the same professionally and personally. Yeah, we had our last uh, even workshop in, on April 30th. It uh, uh, was live in person, the first one in, in over two years. So think people are getting back to normal. They want to talk. They want to be seeing with, seeing with people and be with people, and I'm glad to see it. Me too. I'm, I'm also glad that we have you today, as usual, as we have the last five or ten years on this radio station talking about estate planning, Medicare, government assistance, you name it. And we are going to address the latter, which is Medicare. And you said to me before the show that you want to discuss a Texas ruling that occurred just last month in April of of 2022. And uh, the audience should know about it. So please tell us about that Texas ruling. Yeah, this is important in the Medicaid world. Uh, There was a appeals court decision on April 21st of 2022 that has a uh, could be a very large implications. Um, so the reason why this is important is usually for Medicaid and long-term care Medicaid usually uh, helps take care of long-term care costs like a nursing home or um, and medications. And the average nursing home in Texas is over seven thousand dollars a month. And so, uh, but it's it's means tested. In other words, they look at the amount of assets that you have and determine if you're eligible or not. There are certain assets that do not count as a resource. Generally, the most expensive resource that doesn't count is your home. However, there is what's called Medicaid estate recovery, where the state has a right to go after the home after death. Well, so in this particular case, um, there was a, um, we'll call them 
uh, Clyde and Donna are the married couple. Well, they had a home for many years, and I think they bought their home in 1974. Mm. And they lived there until 2010, and they sold the home to their daughter and her husband. And then they moved into a rental property. Well, in 2017, they moved into a nursing home. Uh, I would just say it was August the 17th or something like that of 2017. A few days later, they bought an interest in their daughter's home. Now, you might say, well, can you do that? Can you do that? The reason why you say can you do it, the state said that they couldn't. The state said you have to have lived in the home before it didn't before it will not count as a resource for Medicaid. Hmm. Now, that's not the federal laws, though. The state just kind of arbitrarily decided to put that in their rules and basically has made it where elder law attorneys felt like they had to sue if they wanted to take advantage of the fact that if somebody bought an interest in a home after. This used to be routine, I might add. Um a long time ago, I know it sounds kind of terrible, but uh, to protect assets, people would buy a home, uh, maybe even after they were in a nursing home. And this way, it wouldn't count as an asset. Now, the equity limit for a home, if you're single, is $636,000. So in the old, old days, uh, which is past history, people might have um, you know, went into a nursing home and bought a home and said that they intended to return, and then it wouldn't count as an asset. Well, again, about, you know, 10, 12 years ago, they, or maybe a little bit longer, they uh, decided to put in the state rules. So Medicaid's a joint program between the federal and state um, governments. So there are federal, there's federal laws, and then the state, uh, kind of administers the program in each state, and each state has their own rules to a certain degree, but they're supposed to be uh, not re- more restrictive than the federal law. So in any event, if, if you know, when the couple, we'll call them again Clyde and Donna, if they bought that interest in the home and then they said that, that they intended that that would be their home, that they planned, if they got discharged, they wanted to go back home. So, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money in this case, by the way. It was like $46,000 for mm. half interest in their daughter's home. Mm. Um, but if at $46,000 or $23,000, whatever the amount was, the whatever it is, if, if it's part of a homestead, then it wouldn't count as a resource, and then there would be eligibility as of the first day of the next month. So, in other words, if they bought the home in August, they put that bought an interest in the home in August. Then, uh, if they got below three thousand dollars, if both the married couple were applying for Medicaid, then it would not count as a resource as of the first day of the next month, September one. Well, anyway, uh, they applied for Medicaid. Um, the husband actually died in November of 2017. They applied for Medicaid in September because remember they bought their interest in August, so they got below the limit before September 1. Okay. Uh, 
the wife died in January of 2018, and then the then the state issued a denial in March. It took them six months. I should mention um, Medicaid is kind of slow right now. Uh, the federal law is that after you apply, you're supposed to respond within the state is supposed to respond within 45 business days. Mm-hmm. The reality is that because a lot of uh, the state workers have left, probably half the workforce has left the state, uh, either uh, either lack of payment or for whatever reason, uh, it's slower than ever before. You would have to say now that the average wait time uh, is at least three months, and probably by time <laughs> this time, the next time we talk, will probably be four months. Uh, it's getting slower and slower. Mm. And now it could be it could be retroactive, but um, you know, so like in this case, even if there's a, a denial, if there had been eligibility, uh, there would be eligibility that would be retroactive to September. Okay. But it's really it's really slow at this time. Um, anyway, there's a whole procedure that you have to go through before um, uh, it gets even to the court system when you apply for Medicaid. You have to go through the administrative procedures. So in other words, you first uh, have an appeal with the state, with Health and Human Services, uh, and then uh, after that, it goes up to another higher level. Uh, Eventually, you have to uh, go to a court in Austin uh, to try to uh, have it uh, determined at the uh, court in Austin to determine whether there's the state was unreasonable. And then after that, uh, in this case, it went not only to that level, but went to an appeals court. Mm-hmm. The trial court uh, in Austin said, you know what? It's un- the state was unreasonable, uh, even though they had never lived in the home. Uh, they think that they thought their, the state's interpretation was unreasonable. It wasn't sub- um, supported by the evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, usually the government usually wins because there's a substantial evidence standard uh, at the uh, administrative hearing, on the administrative hearing. In other words, unless you can show uh, substantial evidence that the state was wrong, um, it's, it's, it's basically that the state should win. So the, the burden is on the plaintiff, basically? Yeah, you okay. have to show basically the state um, was, you know, uh, there, it's, it's a presumption that the agency mm-hmm. decision is supported by substantial evidence. And so you have to have it where uh, reasonable minds could not, uh, it's presumed that, it, that reasonable minds would have reached the same conclusion. But, so you have to show that, no, that they might not have reached that conclusion. Well, that sounds difficult. It's like when judges make decisions and you you take it up to a higher level. And I understand that the new judges who are above the the ones that already made the ruling are hard pressed to overturn that ruling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's okay. the, the the odds are stacked in the state's favor, right? Uh, generally, so you have to really have now this. It should be mentioned that this has been tested before in a case a long time ago, but the state, notwithstanding the ruling against them probably 10 years ago or 12 years ago, 
they decided we're just going to keep on doing what we have. So now if you're going to fight us, you're going to have to sue us. And that means you're going to have to buy a lawsuit in effect mm. to go against the state's rules. Mm. Um, and, and so, quite frankly, uh, from the elder law attorney's perspective, is do you want your client, even though there's been a decision that has ruled against the state, the state didn't like this, the decision of an appeals court or a trial court, and they just said, we're just going to keep on doing what we want, mm-hmm. notwithstanding what <clears throat> the court has said, because we think that you have to have an intent to return home. So for Medicaid, a homestead doesn't count as an asset, uh, generally, is in case, unless you have to say that you intend to return home. And so when you have a Medicaid application, even if you know that you may never come home, you always hope to have an intent to return home and didn't count as a resource. But the states of the state's position is, well, um, how can you return home if you never lived there to begin with? Right. Yeah. But 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 that's, you know, there. but there's these other laws that where you don't have to have lived uh, at home for it to not count as a resource. So, for example, under the Medicaid rules, let's say you did live in a home and you sold your home when you're on Medicaid. And then you bought another home that you never lived in. That wouldn't count as a resource. So uh, even though you never lived there, so how do you so how do you justify that in some cases, uh, if you've never lived there, it doesn't count, and in other situations, if you never lived there, it does count. Mm. And and even though that the federal federal law doesn't have anything that says that there has to be a prior right of occupancy. Now again, the reason why this is so so important is if you have, a let's say, a lot of cash and you decide to buy a home, all of a sudden you could be eligible for Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And so now a lot more assets could be protected for the government to help pay for cost of care. Got it. And, and the home is the biggest asset that people uh, generally have. Well, anyway, uh, so uh, ownership uh, in a principal place of re- under federal law is just you have a principal place of residence where there's shelter on the land, uh, and you either occupy or intend to return home. Um, and the plaintiff said the requirement to live there was unreasonable. Um, again, the state hang, hung their hat on that there had to be an intent to return home. And so the so when it went to the state, uh, to the trial level, they had to determine whether that return home was important or not. Um, the there's these different rules, what's called the POMs, and it does it does talk about intent to return home if you have a continued place that you're living, but that doesn't mean that the home should not be excluded because um, it's just supposed to be the your whatever you consider as your home. Right. And a, a state can't just look at. Um, the likelihood of return or the condition uh, or the age of the home or anything else, uh, the intent to return home was only for continuing an existing home, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't can be your home. If the person was in the nursing home and it was in their intent that they, if they should get discharged, if they own a home, 
Well, that's where the trial court and on appeal disagreed with the state. The state said that um, that basically, you know, just just like I said before, that if you have another home and you never lived in it, the state gives you the right to, uh, you know, sell your existing home and buy another home. So, and that means that if you had just just because somebody, let's say somebody rented a home or was just about to buy a home, but then had a stroke uh, the day before they were to move in their home, they were going to have it was going to be their home, but they never had that chance because they had the stroke. So the the court said, you know, if the if if Congress wanted to have a prior right of occupancy under the laws, it's not too difficult to say that. It could just say you have to have a prior right of occupancy before uh, it should uh, for it to not uh, count as a resource. But it didn't say that. Right. So the court basically said you can't discriminate against somebody who had an intent or whatever their intent may be or whatever they think or consider as their home. So as as long as there's an intent to move in whether it's one day before or one day after, you shouldn't discriminate against those people, whatever their, uh, whatever their situation is, as long as you show in the application that that was where you intend to make as your homestead. Another example of how complicated things can be, how things can get, how each state's different. I don't know if Minnesota or New York or California would have ruled differently. Um, this is how the state ruled in this case, and it makes sense. And this is why you can't be sure about anything, that some people will contest certain things. Some people will just say, there's no way I'll win, and they'll fold. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Uh, some people won't care about that kind of money. Most people will say, it's a ton of money to me, and therefore I need to fight this. Every situation is different, and you have to dig and play detective and come up with the facts before you make a decision as to whether to fight it. And then, of course, you have to explain those facts to the government or to a judge or to a jury and let them hear your side. And um, to be sure that you don't get into a messy situation like that where you have to hire attorneys and you've got to go to court and fight, uh, you should attend Michael's next workshop because Michael will play attorney. He'll point things out to you, for you, that you haven't recognized that he can help correct. No guarantees, but at least he can point things out. He can play the sniper that he is and say, you know, there was this case. You know, there was this situation, and maybe you should amend your plan um, so that this doesn't happen to you. To that end, you should attend Michael's next workshop, which is Thursday, May the 19th at 10 o'clock in the morning, and it's an online virtual Zoom workshop, meaning you can go to the workshop from your cell phone, from your desktop, from your laptop, from your iPad, wherever you are. It's not in person this time. And Michael's been doing these workshops for years and years. He just did one in person, finally, after over two years, and that went very well. So we're getting back to those old days of having them in person. But in the meantime, he'll continue to have some online and this one on may the 19th is via zoom and and michael tell us more about those workshops we ask people what they want to know whatever it may be a lot of times it's on general estate planning it may be about wills or trust 
uh, or it could be about Medicaid, like in the case that we have here today, although number, nobody's asked about the intent to return home on any uh, workshop mm-hmm. in the past. This is kind of uh, detailed, but it's very important in the elder law world because it means a lot of asset preservation for the benefit of the family. But the um, uh, a lot of times there are questions about Medicaid. In this last workshop, the April 30th one, there was a mixture uh, it went every every which way from dealing with uh, backdoor Roths uh, to uh, to Medicaid and uh, the issues regarding uh, that to probate. Uh, there was questions about probate and uh, how long it takes and things like that. So it could be anything. It could be about wills or trusts. It could be anything from state planning to Medicaid to probate, things related to that. Uh, and we never know what questions that people are going to ask. We just ask people what they want to know. By the way, uh, I should mention, uh, although this next workshop will be virtual, so uh, it, this would not be applicable, it was the first time in over two years since it was in person that we gave away those famous KAAM coffee Very mugs. famous. You're very famous. I, you know, I told people for Mother's Day, you know, this is, a, you know, something that uh, I know that all the moms out there are looking for. So uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> so uh, that, uh, I know that you'll be glad to know that the KAAM coffee mugs are back in circulation Thrilled. after two years. Absence. Thrilled. Thank you for that update. To go to one of the next the next workshop, all you have to do, by the way, is call two one four seven two zero one zero two. That's two one four seven two zero zero one. Zero two, or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. And you, I think you'll enjoy. We still have them, like you said, virtually because some people have gotten used to the Zooms of the world and or further distance, and it's easier for them. And so sure. we're, we're trying to accommodate everybody, uh, but we're glad to see that people are back in person uh, at our last workshop, and we'll continue to do that as well. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. I want to ask you in general, well, we discussed Medicaid and homeownership and and that critical word intent. It just seems like, and I'm no attorney, thank God you are, to protect people like me and the rest of the listeners. Um, but it seems like over the decades, I have learned that intention, to intent, heart, all of those things come into play with judges and juries, uh, unlike the, no, I shouldn't say unlike the past, but quite often, and that sometimes the law is one thing, but what that person meant is another. Yeah, I mean, you know, like on this particular case, you, I, when you do the application, usually like when we do a Medicaid application, it wouldn't just be filling out the form. We have like a cover letter explaining everything. And on that case, and of course I I wasn't involved in that particular case, but Mm -hmm. uh, I think in our cover letter we would say that the intent was to return home. Now, it should also be remembered uh, that there is – and so if if this case uh, were to hold unless the state appealed it to the Supreme Court of Texas, uh, it was just decided on April 21st, as we mentioned earlier Mm – that would be retroactive eligibility, but then the state would have a right to make a claim against that home after death to the extent that Medicaid benefits have been advanced. Now, how do we protect that? As you may recall from many of our shows before, you have a ladybird deed. 
So mm. the the or you could have a transfer on death deed. So then you could have that home go to the child after death because the state goes after things that go by will or intestacy. Uh-huh. Uh, if it went by deed, uh, in this case, like a ladybird deed or enhanced life, uh, which is an enhanced life estate deed, or a transfer on death deed, it wouldn't be going by will. It would go by deed at death, and because you retain total control, there's no transfer penalty. So uh, I do not know in this in this case if the family did anything like that. Uh, the state would have otherwise a right to make a claim for whatever the benefits that they were required to pay uh, to the nursing home. Hmm. Well, it's complicated. Um, it's frustrating for a lot of people, I think, because they're not sure exactly what to do. Um, in this case, we only have one thing to do, uh, and that is to recommend that you attend Michael's next workshop, uh, which is online, virtual via Zoom on Thursday, May the 19th, which is at 10 o'clock in the morning. Dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102, or go to DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com. Our elder lawyer is Michael Cohen, and we thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. The record shows I took the blow. Leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.